Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. So, I, I told the, the last group, and I'll get into my story a little bit, but I'm totally deaf. I hear nothing. And so, I have no idea what Caleb just said about me. And so... Um, for those of you who have kids, I think the movie was Madagascar that had the penguins, and they have that line in there where like, smile and wave, boys. That's what I live my life, you know, I just like, I have no idea what it is. You could have been up there like, this guy's an idiot, and then I come up here and start talking to you. I don't think that's what he said to me. So my name, Brett Laxon, give you a little background. My wife, Amy, is over here. We've been married for 24 years, right? 24, yeah, 24 years, sometimes I mess that up. We've got two kids, my daughter Tyler, who is a freshman in San Marcos, Texas, and then my son um, Graham, who's a sophomore at Katy High School. And we live in Katy, Texas, which is a a suburb of, of Houston, and it's, it's massive, and if you get a chance to move to uh, Houston, don't do it. Um, <laughs> so for this past February, I had a, uh, a brain surgery, and that took, I was losing my hearing already, as all males are doing, correct? <laughs> I was losing my hearing already, but in February, I, I lost all of my hearing, and And when you say you have brain surgery, uh, it's kind of like a trump card that you can feel like you can play. If anybody's got a story to tell, I've always got like, I had brain surgery. And you can one-up anybody's story at any point in time. Even if somebody, I've had two brain surgeries. So people are like, oh, I had brain surgery. I'm like, I had two brain surgeries. You can one-up. We're talking about confession today, so I want to give you a confession. My brain surgery was so easy, and I'm not even making that up. A week before I had brain surgery, I had a kidney stone, which I know right now you're like, we're at church and talking about a kidney stone. What is going on? week before I had brain surgery, I had a kidney stone. If you've ever had a kidney stone in your life, you have a trump card, okay? <laughs> I will take brain surgery over a kidney stone any day of the week. So if someone's out there telling a story about something, you know, huge thing, and you've had a kidney stone, don't be afraid. Just be like, I've had a kidney stone. Even the people who've had brain surgery be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> He wins. It was awful. Another thing about another confession is being deaf isn't so terrible. Like, there are obviously some things that I miss. I miss music. I miss sound of my wife at times. But you can, like, you know, ignore, like, when you want to. Because I can tell when things are going on peripherally. Like, I'm not blind, so I can tell when something's going on. 
But I don't really know what's going on if I don't look at them. So I can choose to like not, not engage in certain times, and then I can play the deaf card later. Um, we got a puppy recently. It barked all night long. I slept like a rock. I sleep through storms. I sleep through... So, like, being deaf isn't, you know, that, that terrible, honestly. Today, as we talk about confession, you know, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about confession. Maybe you grew up in a, a Catholic household, and when you think about confession, you think about going to church or making a confession. Maybe for you, it's that, you know, if you're into crime documentaries like I am, uh, you think about the confession room and the police are trying to get a confession out of someone to admit guilt. And I feel like the thing that we can agree on when we think about confession is that word guilt. We think about confession, we think about we have this, this guilt in our lives, right? Whether it's big or small, and sometimes we can do a comparison where... Um, it, it, it's just kind of our human nature to do is like, well, at least I didn't do what they did. You know, like, we can kind of compartmentalize it. But, but knowing the culture here at Journey, I just, want, I just want us all to know something. Knowing the culture here at Journey, knowing the staff, knowing Bobby's heart, this is a safe place. I don't know what's, you know, I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know what secrets you have in your, in your lives, but this is a safe place. And can we just go ahead and, and just, all of us just go ahead and admit, in, in this room, there are no innocent people. And sometimes we try to, again, we try to put like, well, it's not as bad as that. No, there's only innocent, and there's only guilty. And so we're all in the same boat right now. None of us are, are innocent. Um, some of you in this room, maybe you've, you've been carrying around some guilt for a long, long time. It's something that we do, like it kind of rises up in us and we know that there's something that we need to talk about. It needs to get out and we kind of put it in our backpack and we just kind of shove it down a little bit. And we carry it around in our backpack and, and we parent with this backpack and we just kind of begin to accept this as this is, this is just life. And we're doing okay at it. You know, like this is, this is just the way that, that things, things are. And we get used to it. Uh, I have to, uh, I have to sleep with a CPAP machine now. Because apparently I snore, which I've never heard myself snore. But my wife said, I was an obnoxious snorer. I think everybody, like, again, there's, I don't think there's any degree to, to snoring. You're either obnoxious or you're not, right? So she's like, we got to, <laughs> she's been telling me my whole life I needed help. But she's like, we got to get some help. So before I got the CFAP machine, I had to go do a, a sleep study. You, you had to do a sleep study, didn't you? Which is a stupid name because you don't do anything near sleep. You walk, you, you're like you're driving to the place and your anxiety is already building up like, I've got to go to a sleep disorder. I've got to go, I've got to sleep there. What are you going to do? You've got to sleep. Like there's all this pressure to sleep. And then you get there. 
Then they put all of these electrodes all over your head, and they're to my beard, and it's on my arms, and, and they tie it together in this, like, wire ponytail behind my head, and now I'm thinking, man, I'm never, how am I going to sleep? This is a sleep study. I'm a, so stressed out. This is ridiculous. And the, ner- the, the doctor comes in, and we're going to call him Dr. Tom because I don't remember his real name, but Tom comes in, and he's explaining, hey, you're going to lay down, and you're going to go to sleep, and you're like, yeah. And so he's like, you're going to lay down, and you're going to sleep. And then he says, um, listen, if you need anything during the night, there's no like emergency or a call button. You see that camera up there? I'll be watching you sleep all night. So if you need anything, you can just get on the go. Hey, Tom, like, there's no way I'm sleeping now. You're watching, and, and I don't know what your profession is. If you're a sleep doctor and that's what you do, you have the world's creepiest job. <laughs> you watch people sleep at night. They make crime documentaries about people like you, okay? I'm sure it's a great professional. I'm sorry. I just, I get the CPAP machine in. First couple of weeks are absolutely awful. You put this mask, it's forcing air up your nose, and you just like, you try to talk with it, and when you do, it's shooting air up your nose, so it's shooting out your mouth, and you're like, oh, it's just, it's awful. I'm about six weeks into it, and guess what has happened? I've gotten used to it. Now I can... Part of my process at night, I put the straps on my head, put this big thing on my look like Dark Vader, fall asleep. And we get used to it. And we do the exact same thing with our guilt. At first, it like really bothering us and bothering us, and we keep shoving it down, and we keep shoving it down to where all of a sudden it's just become a normal part of life. And we don't, we don't think about it much anymore. Um, so, Graham, my, my son, when he was in sixth grade, I told you, so real quick, by profession, I'm a video editor, so I tell stories. So you're going to hear a lot of stories, so I apologize up front if you hate stories, but I'm going to tell a lot of stories. That's who I am. So Graham, my son, sixth grade, um, and we get him a cell phone because it's, you know, we're in the 2000s. Everybody has cell phones. And when you give your kid a cell phone, as a parent, if you're a parent here, uh, one of the things I wonder is, I grew up in the 80s. If you grew up before that, you know, what did we argue about? 95% of my arguments with my children are about cell phone use. So I don't know what I argued with my parents about. And so when we give, our, give Graham the cell phone, we've got some ground rules. Hey, listen, your phone has to be on the main level, no phones upstairs, and you cannot text a girl. So Amy is gone one day. I'm at home with the kids, dad of the year, have no idea what my kids are really doing. And Amy calls me. I don't know what Amy is doing at the time, teaching, saving children from burning buildings. But she calls me and she says, Graham has his phone upstairs. 
She's not even at home, and she knows that her son has his phone upstairs. I'm at home, and I don't know this. But you're trying to play. Oh, yeah, I know. I was just getting ready to go up there. How does she know that? And that's why I tell my kids all the time, don't try to get by with something. Mamas, no, okay? You're going to get caught. And so I go up to Graham, and when you open the doors, he's in the media room. His back is turned to me, and he's watching TV, and I open the door, and as soon as he turns around, he, like, hops up, and it's just like a huge billboard on his head that's, like, guilty. He doesn't have to say anything. It's just all over him, and he's trying to play it off. And he's like, oh, I don't know, this is when I could hear, but what he said didn't really make sense then either. And I said, do you have your cell phone? And he's like, yeah, I was having the blah, 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 blah. And, and he hands me his phone, and I said, Graham, look at me. And he turns around and look at me, and I said, were you texting a girl? And before you answer, because you can immediately see, like, oh, i got to make up something. He... I said, before you say anything, that pit that you have in your stomach right now, that's the truth. And that truth wants out. And you have a choice to make right now. You can make that go away if you'll tell the truth. It will come out. It wants out. Um, that's all I said. Yeah, you just burst into tears. Yeah, but I think it's stupid. I can't text a girl. Mom says I can't date till I'm 18. I'm never getting married. (laughs) So I explained to him, I'm like, listen, Graham, like, dating isn't an aid for us. It's a responsibility as far as dating when you're 18. And yeah, like, but listen. You're not moving in the right direction right now. So my question is for you. When it comes to guilt, when it comes to those secrets that you have in your life, are you moving in the right direction? Or are you continuing just to push things down and not think about them and try to ignore them? Do you feel like God is moving you towards that? Because that's what God wants out of your life. And if you keep pressing that down, you're moving in the wrong direction. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John. We're going to read the whole first chapter. I want to give you a little bit of context to what John is um, actually talking about. The 1 John is what they would have called like a circular book. So John was writing to a region. So it was a, it was a book that they would have passed the like journey. We would have read it. We would have probably written it down so we would all could reread it. Then it would be passed to the next church, right? And it would have gone all around. Whereas when you see letters that Paul has written, they were to specific churches most of the time. So what was going on during that time was and there was people that had moved in that were saying they were believers, but they were, they were teaching some things that were uh, not true. They were false. One of the things that they were teaching was that 
that, that Jesus, yeah, and you can hear this today in some religions, that Jesus was a good man, he possibly even a prophet, he was a good teacher, but he was not the Messiah. There was other people that were saying, yes, he was God, um, but because you're living, because they were living in a Greek and Roman context where they had all these gods, and, and their gods were kind of like distant and didn't have anything to do with them, their gods couldn't die. They never die. They're making up new gods all the time. So Jesus was God, but Jesus never died. Actually, what they were teaching was that he was fully God, and then when he came time for him to die on the cross, he actually changed bodies with someone else, and someone else died on the cross. There was another teaching that was saying, yes, he was God, yes, he died on the cross, but he never physically came back to life. He was more of a mirage. He was a, he was a ghost if you will. And so this is what Paul, this is what John is talking about when he is writing to this church so that you have some context. So first John, the whole chapter, it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. I want you to notice some of the phrases that he continues to repeat. And he says, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. So he said it twice, I've seen it. And he said, testify to it and proclaim to your eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen, again he says it, and heard, we proclaim to you so that you, you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. This is the message you have heard from us, we have heard from him who proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. I'm going to break this down. I know it's a lot. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're all in the same boat, right? And the truth is not in us. This is one of the parts that we're going to land on at the end. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So you notice the things that he continues to repeat at the beginning. Have you ever really been trying to get a point across so you say the same thing maybe in three different ways? And if you're a parent in here, you can go ahead and go, yes. Because you like as a parent, we didn't know that our vocabulary was going to be condensed down to such a few words. We say over and over and over. You're like, I've said the same eight sentences for the last 16 years of my life. This is John. 
And John is trying to get the point across. And he's like, this is not a myth. This is not something that a story that we've made up. He's saying, we've seen it. We saw it. We heard it. And he says, we touched it. So that's when he's talking about the people that are like, he was a ghost. He's like, no, we touched it. We were actually there. We touched his hands. And then he continues to say, we've seen it. We've heard it. And he's really, really, really trying to get his point across that this is not a myth. And trying to remind the people that, listen, this is... This isn't something that we're making up. This is something that you've heard from the very beginning, and nothing has changed. And so he just continues to repeat himself. Um, from there, he starts going into when he starts talking about light and dark, right? And he, and, and he makes the point of saying, if you say you have not sinned, you're lying. Sometimes we can read that as saying, well, if I've messed up, then I'm not in the light. I'm not even a Christian. And and John makes it very clear. One of the things that John is making very clear to us is if we make a proclamation that Jesus is our Savior and he is who he says he is, then we can't waver from that. That you stay in that light and you are marked by light. You are not marked by darkness. You are marked by, by the truth, right? Um, when you, sometimes we also think of it as like a, a behavior thing. And while that is true, there are obviously certain um, behaviors and certain things and aspects of our lives uh, that we live our lives to, not because God just wants us to be, you know, like these moral, healthy creatures that only do good. Like it's because they don't bring life, they don't bring joy, and that's when in John when he says that, so that your joy may be complete. Because as these people were wavering back and forth between their belief of who Jesus is, they couldn't have complete joy. Because they were like, well, I don't know who Jesus is anymore. Jesus is who he says he is. And John is like, you've seen it. We've heard it. This is the same thing. When it comes to, like, our, our, our behavior-wise, the things that we know, like these are things that do not line up with Scripture. When it comes to light and dark, what happens to us most of the time is we don't just make a step where we're in the light and all of a sudden we make this huge leap over to the dark side. I used to be a youth pastor like a long time ago and You'd have students come in and they'd make confessions to you sometimes about, you know, hey, this happened in my life. And obviously working with teenagers, a lot of those confessions had to do with, you know, maybe a guy come in and go, man, I really, I really messed up. And I had sex with my girlfriend. And one of the questions that I used to ask them was, well, what led to that? And they're like, well, we started making out. And you're like, no, 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 like, 
Not that part of what, like, what compromises did you begin to make in your life where you started taking those steps towards darkness? An addict doesn't wake up one day going, you know what, today I think I would really like to be addicted to a drug. But they start to make compromises in their lives and they start trying to put things in their backpack and suppress the truth. And they start making steps closer and closer and all of a sudden one day they wake up at a place that they'd never dreamed they would be. So I wonder for us in here today, and I'm talking to myself, what compromises are we making ourselves that's moving us in the wrong direction? Maybe it's a, maybe that we say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. Could you put yet at the end of it? Because then it could be really dangerous. But are you moving in the wrong direction? For, for some of you, like, maybe it's a, Maybe it's a text message that you shared with a coworker of the opposite sex that's not your wife that you never told your wife about. And you're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Is that a compromise? Maybe it's, you know, you're, it's, uh, I've been drinking a little bit more than I, I should have. And you know, it's that compromise, it's that step over there, towards it. What is it in our lives that we can clearly see? Okay, so right now it might not be sin, but I'm clearly not moving in the right direction. And there are some things in my life that I'm definitely beginning to compromise, and I, can, I could see how I could maybe end up over there. And you continue to, to compress it and suppress it and suppress it. What's interesting is, like, confession is, is, is proclaiming truth. Confession, actually, like in, in the Greek, is to agree. So what we're doing with confession is you're, God already knows everything about us. What you're doing is you're agreeing to truth. What you're saying is, I agree. This was wrong. That's what a confession is. When we do the opposite, when you continue to push things down and you're suppressing that, that's depression. And it's so ironic to me that confession is a confession of truth. And the pressing down of truth is depression. And you see in people's lives in our world and what's happening and, and so much depression going on and you just wonder, Jesus is like, confess. Just agree on the truth of where your life is at. Because there's freedom there. Jesus, Jesus was talking to his disciples one time and, and he says to them, he says, I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest. Not only life, but life to the fullest. What's interesting is before that, Jesus is explaining the enemy, and what the enemy is after. And he says the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want you to know something, that 
that your marriages, God's not, the enemy's not just looking to try to make them difficult. He wants to destroy your marriage. Your kids and your family, he wants to destroy your family. But he's not going to show his hand just like that. He's going to do that with compromises. But that's the end result. And when death is a penalty, when death is a penalty for your family for compromise, you can't afford compromise. None of us can afford compromise when death is what we have to pay. Some of us, there may be things that we have done and that we have said that we never would have imagined we would have done when we said, I do, to the one that we committed our life to. But compromise and suppressing truth have continued to lead you in an area that you never, ever thought that you would be in. If any of you have ever had like kids that play sports, um, so like they get done playing sports, right, and they go to change, maybe they take their sweaty bags off and they like throw it in their book bag and zip it up, and maybe they leave it in your car for a couple of days. Yeah, like some of you already know what's coming. Or maybe you find it in their room like a week later. And you're like, oh, hey, oh, you wonder what's in this bag, and you unzip the bag, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I think they pooed in there. That is awful. Like, what just, that's called what happens in darkness. Bad stuff grows in the dark. Dangerous things grow in the dark. Jesus wants us to live in the light of truth. Because in truth, healing begins to happen. There's good news in all of this, though, I promise. There's a confession that Jesus says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you. A confession is admitting to the truth. I don't know if any of you had a chance to watch the, uh, I think they may have called it a presidential debate, but I'm not here to be political. I'm just saying, as a dad, when I'm watching, watching two adult men, and they're given two minutes to give their point of view, and maybe you thought your candidate won, and that's fantastic. Not talking about that. I'm talking about two adult men sitting on stage, and they're like, You have two minutes to give your point of view. And they gave two minutes to tell about what the other person did wrong. Like, what is happening? Like, if our kids argued this way, they would be in trouble. Another illustration I thought of is if you have ever lived with anybody in your life, you, you know, just a roommate, brother, sister, parents, kids, spouse, and you have cell phones, have you ever had a charger disappear? Everybody has had a charger disappear. I'm like, how at one point in our life did we have 81 phone chargers and now we have zero. And I go up to one of my kids' rooms and I find 14 of the 81. 
and you ask your child, hey, did you take the charger? And they're like, well, Graham, no, not the question. Did you take the charger? Well, mom took. The question is, did you take the charger? That's either a yes or that's a no. When it comes to confession, we all have baggage, right? Whether our parents were fantastic or less than fantastic, we're all left carrying some sort of baggage from our childhood. We can't rely on our past and our experiences as an excuse. It's time to step out of that. It's time to not have that as an excuse and if either say yes or we're saying no to God. Either we're agreeing or we're not agreeing. That's what a confession is. So what does a confession look like? Um, one of my favorite stories is the prodigal son. And the story in short is there's a son whose dad's got money son asks for the money. He's like, I want it now. Dad gives it to him. The son goes and lives, parties, does whatever he wants to. Gets to the point where he spends it all. There's a famine in the land. Just to make ends meet, the son is working on a farm, feeding the pigs, and he looks at it, and he's like, the pigs are eating better than I am. And he finally, after being at the bottom, finally comes to the point where he's like, I've got to go back to the father. I've got to go back and confess. And maybe the father will just take me on as one of the slaves, and at least I'll have a place to live. And so he starts his journey back. And don't you know, just like us, as I'm talking about confession right now, the enemy is sending lies in your life, and he's saying to you, it's not that big of a deal. They're going to be so upset. It's going to cause more damage. It's going to hurt. Don't you know that every step for that prodigal son, as he goes back to his father, this enemy is saying the exact same thing. When he finally gets close to home and he finally gets to the driveway, what's a beautiful, beautiful picture is what he finds. It's his father sprinting after him. And our confession is no different, that we have a Jesus that is sprinting after you. That if you will make the choice today, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not going to be rough. But you're going to find Jesus sprinting after you. When he meets up, he confesses it all to his father, and his father throws him a party puts the family ring on him. And the, Jesus will do the exact same thing in our lives. But there's one other hard part to this confession. And James tells us, confess our sins one to another so that we may be healed. That the son had to confess to the father. And I don't know who it is that you need to confess to. 
And it's probably going to be a lot easier to confess to Jesus, honestly, than to maybe have to confess something to your spouse. And you've said for so long that there are certain secrets you have in your life that you're taking to your grave with you. Nobody's going to know. And you're right. Maybe no one's going to know maybe the specific sin. But I want to tell you the way that they are going to know. is because Jesus said he came to give you life and life to the fullest. And so if you're not at that point where you're willing to confess, your kids only know you as a version of life when they could know you as life to the fullest. You have relationships that not only need life, they need a friend that's going to have life to the fullest. You have a spouse that not only needs life, but they desperately need you to be a husband and a wife that's living life to the fullest. And I know that that whatever that is, it might not be easy. It's going to be tough. And I'm not saying that things are going to be the exact same way that they used to be, but I believe that in a Jesus that redeems everything, and I believe that Jesus will make it better than before. Because all things work together for good for those who love him. So as you go through this week, I encourage you to make that confession sooner than later. Because as soon as you walk out these doors, guess what's going to happen? The enemy is going to start lying to you that it's not that big of a deal. You don't want to take those things with you to the grave. You want life to the fullest. Let me pray with you all. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that I thank you that you're just not a made-up story. I thank you that you're not only a Savior who died on the cross for us, but you're a Savior who's sprinting down the road after us. Thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.